0: Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Open source software has completely changed how we think about operating systems, networking, and databases. The whole internet basically runs on open source software. But can 100% open-source software power an autonomous car? Well, one Japanese founder not only thinks it can, but he's betting his company on it. And that startup has already conducted some of the most advanced road tests in Japan. Today we sit down with Shinpei Kato, founder of autonomous driving startup Tier 4. And Shinpei is also the chairman of the Autoware Foundation. Autoware being the open-source project to develop software for fully autonomous vehicles. With so much driverless car news coming out of the U.S., you might not know about what's happening in Japan, but it's pretty amazing. We talk about what's involved in road-testing driverless cars in Japan some frightening things people are doing to their cars, the challenges of building an open-source platform in an industry that has historically been fiercely secretive and proprietary, and why Japan's first driverless cars are not going to look anything like what you think they will. But you know, Shinpei tells that story much better than I can. So let's get right to the interview. So I'm sitting here with Shinpei Kato of Tier 4, who is developing an autonomous driving software. So thanks so much for sitting down with us.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me to this fantastic show. <laughs> oh, that's, it's it's our pleasure.
0: Hey, listen, before we get into the details, can you explain the relationship between Tier 4 and AutoWave? Because the the two different entities are really closely connected and like together they form tier four's business strategy.
1: So I, I used to be at Nagoya University and I had led a, a project on autonomous driving where um, uh, we started developing open source software for autonomous vehicles. So I had a, a lot of attention from industry that made me decide I should do startup rather than the university research, the Tier 4 uh, was founded to facilitate R&D of this open-source software called Outware. Two years later, it became much more mature, which made me decide founding Outware community rather than using Tier 4 as a just one Japanese startup. The Outware community can be composed of the worldwide industry and academia tier 4 hand over autoware to community so tier 4 started before autoware when you say autoware it means one is autoware as a, a software project which started before the tier 4 but when you say autoware it can also mean autoware foundation as a community this autoware foundation was founded after who was funding? So,
0: so, my understanding is that Autoware is a, a complete open source platform for autonomous vehicles. But how can I put it? That's an incredibly complex set of technologies. So, is is Autoware really? Is it a complete platform now, or how how much does it actually do? When you consider
1: the building blocks of autonomous vehicles. It's a huge. Yes, as you mentioned, it's complex. Outwear stands for open source software. I wouldn't say it's a small piece, but still it's just a piece of building blocks. So what I wanted to do is to publish Outwear as a basic platform on top of which other commercial building blocks can build. You need hardware, you need cloud, there are many, many other pieces in the building blocks, but Autoware can underlie these building blocks.
0: Wow. The, the automotive industry from the very beginning has been this extremely proprietary and, and closed set of technologies. I mean, it's always run that way. So what has been the reaction of the automakers to the idea of building on top of an open source platform?
1: I think there are uh, several points of view, but in general, open source software must be useful for automotive industry, whatever they use or not for their commercial products. Because when you have open source software, you have your people educated uh, using open source software or your prototype R&D systems can also use this open source software now. It's up to you if you want to keep using this open source software for your commercial products, or, of course, you can switch.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Well, listen, b- before we dive into the business side of things, I want to back up and talk for a minute about you. <laughs> so you mentioned before, this started originally when you were uh, an associate professor at Nagoya University, and so far, your, your career has been entirely in academia at, at uh, Nagoya University, University of Tokyo. So are you still involved with academia? Do you kind of balance between running a startup
1: and being a, an assistant professor now? I'm still deeply involved in academia, but I want to make a, a kind of new career for me, I don't really see in the past that university professors actually really do the business. I don't know why, but to me, why not? So I could be kind of a pioneer to show professors can actually do the business.
0: How do you balance your time? Because like being a startup founder, is it's more than a full-time job.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So T four is deep tech. If Tier 4 is not a deep tech, I think it was very difficult for me to balance between startup and university. But given that Tier 4 is a deep tech, what I do in university can actually underlie what we do in startup. So
0: your academic research is also really tied into AutoWare and and Tier
1: 4. Exactly. That's why I love open source right? If uh, you don't use open source, then you may see some legal problems if you just use your university outcome to your uh, private company. But here, research outcome from the university can go to open source. Then my startup uses this open source for their business. That's a strategy.
0: Yeah, I love the concept of that. I mean, I'm a fan of almost anything that is open source. The more open and sharing and collaboration we have in the world, the better. But, well, actually, tell me a bit about the Autoware community. Who's supporting and who's building the platform?
1: So, yeah, Autoware Foundation is two years old, including two or four. uh, More than half of the community, they actually come from startups. But now uh, we're getting more large companies in the community But still, the core actually startup.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, large company participation is always a great sign for open source projects of of any kind. But most like really successful open source projects have, oh, you know, this core group of individual like people who are, are contributing, and the companies kind of form around them. And so are there also like individuals that are also contributing to this open source platform?
1: You're right. The core group of Autoway Foundation, the startup, who wants to jump into the autonomous driving market, but they believe that they cannot do it by themselves, right? You want to make an alliance with the partner companies in order to compete with or cooperate with automotive makers or big tech giants. They want to build a system not by themselves, but by using this alliance, that's the core of the foundation.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it makes sense. It, it kind of levels that playing field so that small startups can tackle a small piece of the problem and together build something great.
1: It's something very large scale.
0: Yeah. but Sorry, this might be like a really simple, basic question. But for open source software, if you're looking at something like Linux or MySQL or something, you know, developers can, can install it on their own laptops and play with it and, and experiment and see how they like it. But how do you do that with self-driving car technology? How, how do like individual startups and contributors,
1: you know, boot it up to try it out? In practice, they actually play around the cars. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> they download Outware and they have their car make it modified in order to accommodate a software attack like a bywire modification. So if you have a car with a bywire modification, you can play around the cars. But yes, you are right, uh, this is not scalable. So today it is interesting to see there are more working simulators. So if you have simulators, then drastic improvement in quality of graphics. So you can use actually game engines, for example, as a simulator and emulate sensors, information, then run autoware on top. Then you can test perception, localization, planning, control. Okay, that makes sense. So it's step-by-step
0: step, running in simulation. And then for some of them, like you say, if they're really dedicated, they can modify their vehicles. Mm-hmm. In one of your articles, you mentioned that you've run tests in over 60 locations in Japan for this technology. So what are these tests like? What are you testing? What are you learning from them?
1: There are two types of testing, technology testing and user experience testing. So technology testing, you want to see if auto can drive in, for example, Tokyo, but for user experience testing, on the other hand, it's also interesting to see how um, people who ride in a kind of robot taxi in Tokyo react, but you may also want to see how people in local areas who really look for this technology for mobility cases, it's valuable for us to see if people in uh, suburbs or local places would actually feel beneficial on uh, auto based robot taxis buses.
0: Okay. And how do you get permission to run the road tests? I understand regulations are really strict in Japan.
1: So I would say the regulation in Japan is very clear rather than strict. So in theory, you don't need any permission to run the road test in Japan if you have a, a safety driver in the driver's seat. But in practice, because you don't want to make people surprised by uh, operating a robot taxi, even though safety drivers inside. So as a protocol, yeah, we talk to a police uh, in the local uh, authority, then get not permission, get agreement with the lo- local police, then uh, you're ready to go. But if you want to operate driverless cars. It's a different story because the cars must be protected by uh, regulation. So you have to submit kind of regulation waiver the police, also uh, road authority. Then you will be tested on site. And if you pass the test, you're ready to go.
0: Okay. So, so far, all of your, your tests have been these kind of emergency drivers in the
1: vehicle. I would say most of the A few tests that we do, we have safety drivers inside. But tier four is getting more recognized in Japan because we are the first to showcase real driverless car on the public road. So we went through the whole processes with the, the police and road authority. So we are now qualified to operate driverless cars that is a car without any human driver on the public road.
0: Which is an amazing accomplishment. I mean, actually, let, let's talk about that. So on your website, you have like several different types of autonomous vehicles that you're working on. What is the type of car where you have authorization to
1: run driverless on public roads? It's a robot taxi based on uh, the Japan taxi model, which is the most popular vehicle type in Japan. They actually use that car for a real taxi services, so we modified it to accommodate software, then submit permission to the police. Now we are qualified to operate driverless robot taxi even in Tokyo.
0: So, a really successful pilot. You got a lot of great press attention for that. What is the time frame before we'll be able to see driverless taxis as part of our everyday
1: life? If you talk about the deployment, I would say five years to 10 years. But if you say the first real commercial robot taxi, then I think it will appear in a few years.
0: And, and what's what's the bottleneck there? Is it is it more on the technology side? Is it more on the, the automotive
1: production side? Why is it a few years instead of next year? Technology side, right? So if you have more vehicles than you have more risk. So the technology today enables probably a few vehicles at the same time to be operated without any human drivers. But if it scales out to 100 or 1,000 or 10,000, then today's technology may not be sufficient to operate all of them at once. That makes sense.
0: Around the world, these these robot taxis are, are getting all the attention, because I think that's one of the most scalable use cases for it. But you also have an autonomous vehicle called the Miley, which I think is a fascinating use
1: case. And, and can you tell us like a little bit about what that is? Sure. So the design concept of Miley is not for high-speed public loads focused on low-velocity areas, because if you lower the speed, you have lower risk. If you lower the scope of area, you also have lower risk. The Miley exists because of real-world application of autonomous driving.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, it looks like a golf cart with a bunch of sensors attached to it. But there's one thing that I'm curious about with the, the technology that supports autonomous vehicles. So so for example, a low-speed autonomous vehicle that has to run around crowded back streets with lots of pedestrians, but moving at a very slow pace is going to be very different than, say, autonomous vehicles that are doing like long-haul trucking, which would be very different from, from taxis or buses. So in all of these different use cases, How similar is the AI technology that is used in each of them? Are are they very similar technologies that are just tweaked, or are they almost different from the ground up in how you approach solving these problems?
1: In the testing phase, low-speed mobility would not require the same level of AI as robot taxi. But if you consider real-world application, then you shouldn't have any edge cases. You have to ensure that the whole possible use cases must be covered, even though it's a low-speed vehicle. So, ultimately speaking, Miley and robot taxis, they would require the same level of technology. The concept here is, given that we use the same level of technology, area, very limited, such as a park, and unlimited areas such as the city for the same technology park must come first for the real world application. Then, once you have the success, then you can go to a robot taxi application. So, on a, on a practical
0: level, what sort of autonomous vehicles do you think we'll be seeing first on the road? What do you mean by on the road? Okay yeah that's 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 a tricky thing so what <laughs> so w- what sort of autonomous vehicles do you think we'll be seeing deployed first
1: for sure geofenced logistics application so if you move things instead of people you get low risk right but if you move people then you also have to consider the people inside the car so
0: so would this be things like like factory automation?
1: Or... Yes, exactly. Caligo, Caligo delivery, in my experience, should come first to the real application.
0: And since it's a, a really well-defined area, it's easy to set up beacons and other things to kind of help the AVs. Exactly. What do you think is going to be the first use case of AVs carrying
1: people? That's, I believe, case of Miley. Low speed, limited area limited condition, the not only Miley, uh, but also, for example, robot shuttle in a private area. They basically have the same risk level as Miley. So such categories come to the realization in a few years. Makes sense.
0: Let me zoom out a bit and um, talk a bit about tier four. So. What is the, the fundamental business model of tier four? Is it joint research projects? Is it software development? Is it integration?
1: That's actually a very interesting question for me. My true answer is, I don't know, because market is not there, right? How, how, how can you find business model if the market is not there? But my assumption is that since we are based on open source software, and open source software attracts more people, more companies. They want to use open source software as a basis of their uh, business products. But they don't know how to integrate open source software for their production quality system. Once you go into production quality, you need somebody who can help. Imagine that Linux. Students can use Linux, playing around. Once you go to the business, you want to use Ubuntu, Red Hat, whose business model is basically an interpolation, optimization, customization of Linux. So, Tier 4 is following that style. We are the main distributor of AutoWare.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So, I guess it, the big question here seems to be like how open these automakers will be to open source. It's one of those questions like if you look at the market as a whole, Everyone benefits from having open source because it allows people to specialize and learn from each other and it keeps costs down. But any one actor, whether it's Toyota or GM or whoever, doesn't look at the whole market. They're just looking at themselves. Well, and looking at the members of AutoWare, there's a lot of corporate members, there's governments, there's university support but so far the corporate members are mostly like software or AI or systems integrators and there aren't any automakers yet. Why is that?
1: Um, I like this conversation. So consider two aspects. From our side, if you invite one automotive maker, then other automotive makers will not join. That's the automotive industry. So we want to be neutral place. From automotive maker's point of view, today's automotive industry for autonomous driving is something like before 1990s in the PC market. So they don't need to use open source today. But as autonomous driving emerges and more connected applications emerge, I believe They will not be able to develop the technology by themselves. Now start relying on third party or partnership to build product. If we go to that future, then open source is very strong. If you look at the history, if you need your partners to build your system, then if you have a partnership with closed community, you can't get the market.
0: That's that's interesting. Yeah, I could see that so it would be no direct involvement until everyone comes in at once. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. If you're thinking the first vehicles that are going to get rolled out are going to be things like the Miley or cargo, you know, physical goods transport, then it it wouldn't be the automakers. In the early stages, it would be, uh, well, maybe it is, but some small division
1: within those automakers. Yeah. Yeah, you can uh, showcase using a limited application. Then once automakers start relying on software companies now, they may want to use open source. So if I'm understanding you right, 10 years from now,
0: you see tier four as being the main trusted integrator for all of the different automotive and automotive-related companies that are
1: using this platform in their vehicles? I hope so. In addition to that, in 10 years, we definitely want to be a main integrator of autonomous driving technology following, say, Ubuntu Red Hat style business. But when you consider open source business, there is another class of business model, which is kind of Android. Android is a completely different business model. It's not integration business. It's a platform business. When um, your partners or end users, they use Android, you have a business opportunity to make them install another application or service. So if Tier 4 has commercial service using Outware, more users use Outware, more business opportunities for Tier 4. Yes, we need to be an integrator first because we have to deploy altware first. But once the Outwear is deployed, TFO can become another face as a service provider using Outware platform.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let me ask you about Japan in general. So there's so much amazing fundamental research going on in Japan with, with what you guys are doing and preferred networks in Toyota have really done some interesting research as well. But how does Japan's autonomous driving technology as, as an industry
1: stack up to what's being done in the
0: United States and China?
1: That's as a whole exactly the reason why I started Outwear. Japan is a small country. Japan alone it never reaches the same place as United States and China because they are super countries. Japan is an uh, island country, but making partnership in the global places. So Otwe wants to be such a uh, hub coming across global companies' alliance. So Japan alone probably can never reach the same place as the United States and China. But Japan and global countries' alliance may be able to be the same place as the uh, United States and China.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, and I mean that—that's why the open source component is so important. It allows everyone in any country to to contribute to that.
1: Yeah, that, that's a beautiful story, right? Because a small startup, small uh, invested team in a small country such as Japan, can lead the very large scale alliance using open source community becomes the same level of products or technology as what the super countries are doing.
0: So so is autoware similar to the Apollo project in China because that's another that's also open source isn't it
1: Yes Apollo in some sense is kind of great presence for autoware because if there is only one open source project autoware then it didn't make such a success but there was another open source project Apollo so autoware Apollo made this open source community today.
0: Okay, that makes sense. It's like every founder knows you never want to be the only one in your market. I know. Because um, then nobody wants to, you know, they, they don't feel safe. It doesn't feel like a, a real thing until there's some competition in the market.
1: Yeah, so in that sense, yeah, Apollo is significant. The main difference between Apollo and o is that Apollo belongs to Baidu where doesn't belong to any particular company. So it's open source, but
0: still controlled by Baidu.
1: Yes. So imagine that Android belongs to Google. Linux doesn't belong to anybody. I don't know. There is no which is better, the style of open source community. I didn't want to have where stick to a particular company. I wanted to have where as a truly neutral open source project. So I decided to hand over all the rights of Otware from Tier 4 to Otware Foundation, which is a non-profit organization.
0: That's awesome. Well, listen, Shinpei, before we wrap up, Mm. I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. All right. And that is, if I gave you a magic wand and I told you that you could change one thing about Japan, anything at all, the education system, the way people think about risks, the way people think about startups, I mean, anything at all to make it better for startups and innovation in Japan, what would you change? Speak English. English speaking? <laughs> no, why is that not? A number of people say
1: that. So why why is that important? Why would that make Japan more innovative? So for me, education level of Japan I think it's better than any other countries. But Japan is not good at being a leader in the global community. We can be part of the global community, but sometimes we we are not really leading.
0: And, and do you think that's mostly because of like
1: language ability? Communication or the culture? We don't have to change education uh, level. We don't have to change our skill or the system. I said... Japan regulation is not strict at all. It's very clear. So, which I love it. But the communication, it's not a problem. But if we want to lead the community, then I think we, we need another communication.
0: That's interesting. And, and have you, I mean, your English is, is quite good, but as, as a team that's trying to build this global open source community, ha, have you found that challenging?
1: Yes, it was a challenging, but since I'm Japanese, I think oh, well, kind of I was fortunate to be such a place. You know, people trust me. I'm at a good position to coordinate people. I have learned a lot how to communicate with people when I studied in the U.S. If I was not in the U.S., then I think even if people trust me, I may not have been able to coordinate people. Because this is not something Japanese people are not good at.
0: Uh, do you think that is, is just English ability or is there also kind of this cultural?
1: Yeah, many things. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, I, I was kidding about English speaking, it's a communication. No, but I think there's, there's something there too. Yes. So, Japanese people or culture, we are very flexible, but may not be so reasonable and logical. So the communication problem may actually come from the lack of kind of logical and reasonable thinking. But since we are flexible, probably we have another good aspect. But if you want to communicate or coordinate the community, then you need a logical thinking or you need a reasonable decision, which probably Japanese people are not very good at.
0: Well, but being flexible means means you can learn. Sure. That's
1: (laughs) maybe how I am. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay, that's great. Hey, Shinbei, I want to thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. I enjoyed a lot.
0: And we're back. I love that people are hacking their cars so that they can load and experiment with self-driving software. I mean, I, I don't want to ride in those cars with them, but I think it's pretty cool that they're doing it. Moving forward, it's going to be interesting to see if Shimpei and the Tier 4 team can develop a sustainable open-source community around autoware. Many potential contributors might be hesitant because of the lack of participation from the auto industry. But in the end, having the big automakers on board might not be as important as it seems. When we talk about autonomous vehicle technology, if we only look at how the technology is being deployed in cars, in passenger vehicles, it does look like the U.S. and China is way ahead of Japan. And passenger vehicles are the most difficult and potentially the biggest market. But the man who coined the term disruptive innovation, Clayton Christensen, His theory of disruptive innovation teaches us that disruptive technology introduced by the major players rarely succeeds. Successful disruptive technologies are almost always initially deployed in unsexy, low-margin, small niche markets. The innovators then transform these niche markets and use the new expertise and product improvements they make there to move upstream and eventually displace the large players. Perhaps we're about to see the same dynamic play out in driverless cars. It might be that the winners will not be the Teslas and Volvos and GMs trying to develop technology that is good enough for use on the road, but rather the companies who start out by building outstanding autonomous vehicles for on-site transport or revolutionary low-speed vehicles like the Miley, and then move up the value chain into the bigger and more profitable markets. Of course, at this point, there's no way to know how all this will play out. Today, we're told that driverless cars are about five years away just like they have been for the last 15 years. And maybe we really will see them on the road in five years. But in this technology race, I would bet on the companies who are actually shipping amazing and fully functional autonomous vehicles, even if they're only selling in small, unsexy niche markets. Actually, especially if they're only selling in small, unsexy niche markets. Because those are the companies that end up changing the world. If you want to talk more about driverless cars, Shinpei and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com show174 and let's talk about it. If you leave a comment, I guarantee Shimpei or I, or maybe both, will respond. And hey, if you get the chance, check us out on LinkedIn or Facebook. But even better, if you like the show, tell people about it. Disrupting Japan is my labor of love. It's free forever, and we have no advertising budget. People hear about the podcast because listeners like you enjoy it, and they tell their friends about it. But most of all, thanks for listening, and thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups and innovation know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.